For this segment of Tech Talk with Johnson College, Dr. Katie Leonard hosts Terry Ooms, Executive Director at the Institute for Public Policy and Economic Development, where they will discuss the nation's skills gap and explain what that means for our region. Thank you so much for being here today, Terry. I'm really excited to be here, Katie. Workforce development and education and training are really at the core of our economic future in Northeastern Pennsylvania. So thank you again for, for being here. Um, what I was hoping we could focus on today, which you and I talk about a lot, um, is this whole notion of a skills gap. So I know I always get the question, I know you always get the question, um, what is the skills gap? How does it affect Northeastern Pennsylvania? What could we be doing about it? So I thought we could start there. And you know, I'm just really um, you know, curious to get your perspective and hear you share um, what the skills gap, like how do you define it and what does it mean to Northeastern Pennsylvania? Well, at the Institute, we define the skills gap as a mismatch. So you have jobs that are available in various sectors at various skill levels, and you have potential employees, but their education and skill requirements, requirements don't match the open jobs. And so that's what a skills mismatch is in, in our mind. And I, I think that's a fairly simple definition that could be applied nationally. Um, and, and we do have a skills gap here in Northeastern mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. We also have a individual shortage, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and that may be even the bigger problem. Um, what, what we're facing now is um, population decline nationally. Mm -hmm. uh, older individuals outnumber younger individuals, and the younger individuals are not having families. Mm -hmm. And that's been that way for the past 20-some years. So what we're continuing to see is the decline in the workforce age population. Mm -hmm. And so employers are now not just struggling to find people with skills, but also to find bodies that they could even train with the mm -hmm. skills. And the challenge with that is that it's national. Mm -hmm. It's not something just in northeastern Pennsylvania. So this is one of the first times where we could say we are consistently following national trends. Yeah, and I think too, something that I read a lot about is that there is there is more focused on the Northeast, especially like as we look at those demographics, because the states that colleges traditionally pull a majority of their students from, whether it's within a 60 mile radius uh, of the institution or like the home state that we're in of Pennsylvania or New York, New Jersey, Maryland, those states are some of the ones that are feeling this and seeing this. Um, the, the hardest. So I feel like it, there's even more of a spotlight um, on the Northeast and especially Northeastern Pennsylvania. I agree with you. Um, we, we've been experiencing population decline because there have been more people leaving than moving in. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I have a lot of Rust Belt states and Middle Atlantic states because people are moving to the Southeast, the Southwest, because um, historically they've always been the land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, climate has, has also been another driver, <laughs> and um, they have been robbing the population of the Northeast United States and, of course, of Northeastern Pennsylvania for decades. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, because you talk to so many different groups of people, not just higher education, but also employers and chambers of commerce, you know, how, what type of like ripple effect does this have on those organizations, especially you know the employers in the area. Um, well, we're already starting to hear how tough it is to find qualified people, mm -hmm. uh, and and a lot of times they're saying 
just people. <laughs> and so it's very real. Um, I've heard it from employers that have occupations open at a variety of skill levels, a variety of higher education attainment levels. Um, so it, it is quite apparent now that it's a problem. And businesses are going to be forced to rethink how they do business. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, certainly we have an aging worker component, and maybe we now seem to think that perhaps more part-time positions with folks that are retired but don't want to retire permanently, that we could create different kinds of hubs for them in, mm-hmm. in companies. Uh, where that type of job is available. Um, maybe it's telecommuting for mm-hmm. um, women who are home uh, with young children or can only work hours that their children are in school. Uh, we also have to think of the immigrant population. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a large influx of Hispanic and Latino individuals uh, as well as Hindu and Gujarati and even Bhutanese. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding is a lot of them are educated and skilled in the countries they came from. Mm-hmm. But those certifications aren't recognized here. So you're finding engineers working in logistics firms Mm -hmm. as warehouse associates and things like that because their credentials aren't recognized here. So I think we need to start thinking out of the box now on how do we make it easier for people to take these jobs yeah. uh, because it will become a crisis and as I mentioned it's a national crisis which mm-hmm. means northeastern Pennsylvania is competing against every community across the country right. for a workforce. Yeah and for us here at the college we've been feeling this for a while now certainly now you know I feel like it's it's really at, at, at its at its peak but um, you know we get calls from employers over the years all the time and just basically with the message to us saying like you can't produce your students fast enough so while we're experiencing growth we, we still feel um, the pressure to, you know how can we um, continue to produce our very highly skilled um, students but get them to industry that much faster so I think it's it's sort of a, a call to action for <laughs> for higher ed <laughs> yes, <laughs> not just is. us you no, know like no. I said I feel it all, but I think for for all of, of yes. higher ed. I would agree with you. Higher education in general has to reinvent itself and be more responsive to the market. And yeah. it's a huge cha- huge challenge because traditional higher education institutions uh, really have not operated on that timeline. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the academic timeline is a bit slower. Yeah. And now, in order to remain competitive, because you're competing for a smaller market, mm-hmm. first to market, so to speak, is going to be right. the winner. Um, you're in a unique position because you have a different commodity than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a great menu of academic programs that really apply to so many different industries and so many different occupations within those industries. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say you are in an enviable <laughs> position. Um, and and your, your toughest job is how can you scale up quick right. enough to meet that yeah. demand. And, and that's, that's yeah. quite unusual. Yeah, and, and, and we're, we're so fortunate to have the wonderful relationships with industry that we have. I always say we were like, we're founded and grounded in industry. We were founded by, you know, a, a coal baron who was really grounded in industry and we've just sort of evolved from there and built off of that and every single one of our programs has a program advisory committee and so we can sort of listen 
and respond uh, quickly and, and hopefully we can continue uh, to do that. Well, that entrepreneurial mindset is really what's gotten you this far and yeah. um, I think it's going to continue to do that because like I said, I think you, you've developed a great menu of programs to be able to offer um, that's applicable to so many organizations, but then applicable to so many individuals yeah um and and that i can't don't think can be said for traditional higher education sure thanks um so speak like you know i talked a little bit about our history you know is there a time that you can look back in history and see something similar like what we're experiencing now with the skills gap and and if there is sort of that that time in history like what like what do you think we should be learning (laughs) from Um, it you know I, i was thinking about as we try and find solutions to regional problems, we often do some research. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to have experienced and solved this before, but um, ironically, there really hasn't been a major skills gap of this magnitude. Mm-hmm. There have yeah. been times in history where there's been some issues, like there was a workforce shortage in the early world wars mm-hmm. uh, because all of the men were in the armed forces, and mm-hmm. that was one of the first times women just jumped into the workforce and really filled all sorts of positions within business and industry um, to do that backfill. Um, the other time, I, I think, and it was it was on a much smaller scale, was really as computers started revolutionizing how mm-hmm. businesses do business. Yeah. And I, I would say that that was probably in the, the mid-80s or so, early to mid-80s, and there was just a shortage of technically trained people and individuals who had the capacity to fix and program those kinds of machines. Mm -hmm. But again, not on the magnitude that we're having a skills gap now because it's also covered with a a general worker shortage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and there is, even though there's there's a lot of, you know, downside to that, there is opportunity within that. So are there sort of areas that, you know, sort of of, of hope that that you see um, you know whether it's higher ed or just any industry sort of taking taking you know advantage of and um. wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know I think there's incredible opportunity for all sectors first if you're a person of any age um, continuing and lifelong learning is key mm-hmm. uh, and if there's always something you thought you wanted to do but never felt you could try it mm-hmm. um, now's the time yeah um, if, if it involves additional education and training mm-hmm. I think it's definitely worth it I think our young people um, going into higher ed now have incredible opportunity to essentially write their own tickets when yeah. they graduate and really get their g- mm-hmm. dream job earlier <laughs> on than their baby boomer parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's opportunity there. Um, I also think the business has opportunity because with this change, it requires them to innovate. Mm-hmm. And usually when there's innovation, a lot of good things happen. So businesses are going to have to be innovative in in how they set up their workforces Mm -hmm. and so maybe more part-time workers telecommuters um um, more on-the-job training than they've done before they're also going to have to be a little bit more competitive Mm -hmm. because if you have uh, a similar 
industry cluster in a community, you're competing for the same type of worker. And, you know, company A can offer a few dollars more an hour and all these perks, and company B's people see mm -hmm. that, they're going to start gravitating over here yeah. because they know how mm -hmm. easy it is going to be to get hired. Yeah. And then if B sees that and goes up. So I also think it gives us a great opportunity to elevate the standard of living in the region. Yes. Um, and um, more opportunities for low-income individuals to get those family-sustaining jobs uh, because there's more willingness of employers to take a non-qualified person yeah. and make them qualified. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I've had a lot of conversations with employers about that. And so often, um, I think there's there's maybe this mis misperception that students, you know, especially like the younger generation going from high school to a two-year college into the workforce, that students are only focused on maybe that 50 cents more an hour or a dollar more an hour. Um, so, you know, talking to a lot of employers, um, we brought students and employers together for a panel um, back in, you know, the, the fall. And I said, I said to the employers, you, you want to know what the, the future workforce wants? I'll, we'll bring you together and, and, and you can ask them. And and they did, and I think they were, um, you know, a little surprised by some of what the students said. And it wasn't necessarily money; it was the things that you just talked about. Is there the, the two biggest things for um, our students were the flexibility, and can they apply what they're learning in school immediately? They want sort of that that you know being able to see a difference um, almost from the first day that they walk into the employer's door. So it was wonderful because it opened up this whole new dialogue for employers that again it's not just me saying it. Mm -hmm. You heard directly from the future workforce and you know to your point I think they really recognize you know what we, we might need to, to rethink a little bit. Um, these aren't just jobs. Students aren't just looking for the next best job but they're really trying to take a step back and look at this as their career. Um, and I've had some great conversations with employers about how to then build career paths for students and not just looking at it as a job. I think that's great advice. And I, I would agree that the younger generation of, of recent graduates, probably until their mid-30s, are really excited about making a difference. Mm -hmm. They want to yeah. see that what they're contributing has value and has impact. Mm -hmm. uh, and they do like that flexibility. There is definitely more of a work-life balance mm -hmm. in there than their, their baby boomer parents yeah. who were just drive, drive, drive yeah. until you drop. <laughs> I think where the money comes into focus are more families mm -hmm. that have been dealing with that I can't meet my basic needs yeah. to, to and get support or just above the level where you can get support and still struggling to survive. Mm -hmm. So those wages come into play with that group. Yeah. Um, so I think employers need to be much more flexible and recognizing that there's a, a variety of different types of cohorts of employees mm -hmm. and they're going to have different values. Right. And they have to be flexible enough. And mm -hmm. it's going to be a challenge because now business is kind of on the receiving end yeah. and has to rise to the challenge. <laughs> and I think historically there's always been so many people looking 
training for work, they mm-hmm. can really be particular yeah. and very rigid mm-hmm. in what they do. So yeah. this is a big challenge. Yeah. And it's going to be easier for some companies that mm-hmm. are more entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, it's going to be harder for um, smaller companies that maybe that can't compete on that grander mm-hmm. scale. So it's definitely going to bring about a unique set of challenges. But like I said, where, where there are challenges, it does bring opportunity. Yeah. So I, I really... I have hope for the future. Yeah, I, I do too. I'm actually really excited because the and I think the, the employers that, that I um, meet with are too. I think they're they're actually looking to you know higher ed, almost taking a page out of our playbook because I feel we've gotten really good over the years of looking at like like taking a step back, looking at the whole student. What do they need to be successful? Understanding that, like you said, like not everybody follows the same path into work. Not everybody follows the same path once they're they're mm-hmm. in, in a position. Um, and really taking a step back and saying, okay, how do we maybe customize this a little bit and, you know, don't just feel as if every single employee that comes their way is going to want the same things and, mm-hmm. and go on the same path, but really trying to look at their employees mm-hmm. uh, holistically. I think businesses are also going to face some unique challenges in... Um, barriers that are impacting workers Mm -hmm. um transportation regionally is one of them and i think that's been a really hot topic the past couple years Mm -hmm. uh thanks to the scranton area foundation uh child care is another um affordable and even available child care is also a a huge challenge Mm -hmm. and so um that then becomes another challenge for employers to work with agencies and local governments Mm -hmm. and employees themselves to help find these solutions Um, because we do know that that um, there is there are more people out there that could be participating in the labor force that aren't Mm -hmm. and many of them are burdened with these types of challenges Mm -hmm. and if they could be addressed in some way shape or form you know then then we may have more of an available workforce than we think. You know, we recently heard about um, Governor Wolf's program mm-hmm. and, and making public higher ed more affordable, and certainly that is that is an action um, by the government. Uh, I think where we could be more effective in Pennsylvania is workforce development. Mm-hmm. Um, I think generally the, the system that's in place is not as effective as it could be. Um, and it, it also seems fragmented. There's a, a variety of different organizations doing different things, mm-hmm. which are all good things, but they're also not connected, yeah. and it's not cohesive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that respect, modeling a workforce development system after another state that's done it right, that has showed some mm-hmm. years of success, might be a good next step. Yeah. Um, and, and especially since they would be in a position to connect displaced workers Mm -hmm. as well as individuals who've been out of the labor force for whatever reason and maybe connect them with all sorts of services in addition Mm -hmm. to job training yeah Uh, because I I think that's another area we need to think about is workforce development as it relates to social services Mm -hmm. Uh, and then of course Mm -hmm. reentry as a a component of workforce development Um, I, I we have a large population that have records Mm -hmm. most of them are misdemeanor types Mm -hmm. of charges but because of of the whole criminal justice system they've been in jail Um, and and many of it may be due to mental health or substance abuse but if you deal with those things 
um, then you're likely to have a productive worker. Yeah. And and so I think we could do things a lot better by yeah. connecting the dots. And maybe it does need to start systemically and through mm-hmm. legislation. Yeah. So do you see, you said something interesting, like maybe look to like another state or some another area that's that's doing it well. So it, it, do you know of another area that you would say, ooh, like we mean we should look there and um, maybe. We did a paper on it a couple years ago and there's a couple states in the Midwest um, that seem to have a good track record of success with their workforce development initiatives, and that might be a starting point. Um, mm-hmm. Since it is a couple years old, I'd like to take another look. Yeah. But I certainly think there are, are things that we can glean that have worked well for mm-hmm. other states. Yeah, I know, um, again, going back to our history, there's a lot of like the coal and um, sort of being a one industry region. Um, do, you, like, do, do you hear about that and and it, you yeah, know, and people I know are stuck in the past. Here. Um, <laughs> we need to get away from from that. It's great to have history, mm-hmm. but it's history. Right. So we need to live in the present and plan mm-hmm. for the future and realize that northeastern Pennsylvania is very diverse. Yeah. Um, we have a very diverse industry base, which mm-hmm. is extremely critical. It means our economy is not dependent on one sector yeah. like it used to be on coal. Mm-hmm. So when coal went away, we lost... 80% of our jobs, 50% right. of our population, mm-hmm. and it was a disaster. Now there's some resiliency there in having yeah. that diversity. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we can say that there are the top three clusters mm-hmm. in the region are, are dealing with health care and education, uh, manufacturing and logistics. Those mm-hmm. are the top three employers by industry in northeastern Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. under those industry codes obviously there's a whole variety of occupations from very low skill to very high skill but those are the three Mm -hmm. um but there's a presence of everything here and opportunity within those yeah i always say like i think it's it's just great that we are that diverse economy i'm like we don't want to go backwards let's not yeah (laughs) Yeah. let's learn we do tend to get stuck (laughs) in the past and Mm -hmm. and think about you know change is bad no change is really good because look where we are now Mm -hmm. and that's where our focus should be it's great to have history Mm -hmm. and it's great to say that's what it was but let's focus on the here and now Mm -hmm. and how we drive our region to that next level if you could just sort of you know give me a sense of um, again, thinking about the demographics of this region, um, like who are the minimum wage earners in, in the area? Um, and, you know, what programs or what's the framework that exists to sort of help, you know, elevate them and, and move them maybe from one economic um, point to, to another? Um, the minimum wage workers are those working in retail, they're working in hospitality and they're working in service industries um, and not as part-timers trying to earn extra dollars. That's their primary careers. And those are mostly individuals that either did not graduate high school or did graduate high school but have no other training, no other education. And um, what, what we've done in our living wage study is to track how much it actually costs to live in northeastern pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and what you have to earn to meet basic needs so not not the fancy cable package not Mm -hmm. the vacation not even the savings account and it's for a single person it's a little over 19 dollars 
So you suddenly add on uh, another person or a child, mm-hmm. and, and it goes up from there. So you can imagine that somebody would have to work um, um, three minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. about 40 hours a week each to get to where they need to be. It's not feasible. It's certainly not feasible to raise the minimum wage to that level, um, mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, we need to look at, okay, perhaps raising the minimum wage somewhat, but then how can we elevate those individuals? And and that's the tricky part, um, mm-hmm. because I, I think that uh, the way workforce development is now is if they find a person a job, that's a success, and you move on. But it's not, okay, now that we have that person employed, what can we do as a system to get them the next level of skills so they can move on to something more family sustaining. Mm-hmm. And that that's not there. Even if it's, you know, retail store management or something like that where you would earn a higher wage, that ongoing training isn't in place. There isn't a hmm. system that yeah. can connect the dots. Hmm. So individuals get lost mm-hmm. that way. And, um, you know, retail is one of the largest employment segments in every single economy mm-hmm. um, and and a lot of people do it uh, because they're semi-retired or because it's a, a part-time mm-hmm. gig in addition to their their real job mm-hmm. but for some people that's their livelihood yeah. and that's where we have a challenge and that's why we have a huge gap um, and our, our economy is turning into one with more the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. And more people are falling into the have-not section. Mm-hmm. So going back to something you said, um, which is really interesting. So from your perspective, like someone entering retail, like you, you, there, there aren't those mechanisms in place to sort of help that individual even move up within that sector. Did I get that? Yeah, there's right. there's no formal um, system that can say, okay, here's a retail management training program, mm-hmm. um, unless it's company driven. Right. And and if you've got a good manager mm-hmm. who who wants to bring people along, knowing that there's opportunities within the company in in the area or across the U.S. It's there, but you're relying on the person mm-hmm. at that point to be the driver. Yeah. Um, so there's no systemic thing in place that can help that person and meet with that person and say, okay, Katie, you're working here 30 hours a week at minimum wage. What do you really want to do? How can how can we help you get to that next mm-hmm. level and yeah. and then help develop a program, whether it's a yeah. an online training program or weekend or, or something mm-hmm. to get you credentialed, skilled, educated, degreed yeah. so that you can move to that mm-hmm. next level. Yeah, that that's great. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, helping employers understand that, you know, again, looking at the whole person, what is like that individual's career path going to look like? And I think, you know, it sounds like maybe, um, you know, and we, we can even share it with, with employers that maybe there needs to be a deeper understanding of how to, how to develop some of those mechanisms. I think that would be great. I think um, you develop a loyalty then, mm-hmm. and so that yeah. even there's more more of a prominence now of people staying in jobs two, three years and moving on, you may be able to build that loyalty through that kind mm-hmm. of initiative and bring them along within the company. Yeah. So where do you see all this going? Where do you, if you look out into the future of Northeastern Pennsylvania, um, and what the, what's some of like the the data telling you about maybe not five years from now, but even you know ten years 
from well, now. We've come a long way economically yeah. as a region. Um, you know, when the recession hit in 2008, um, we didn't seem to be hit as hard as, mm-hmm. as other communities yeah. and regions. And I, I mentioned in part it's because of that economic diversity, so there was some resilience. Mm-hmm. However, it did take longer for us to recover than most mm-hmm. other areas of the country. Yeah. Um, and, and where we are now is, is we've got a big divide. We've got about a quarter of our households in the region that earn less than 25000 a year. And we, we know that's not family sustaining. Mm-hmm. We are seeing strides of folks earning a hundred or more thousand increasing. But what's happening is those incomes in the middle, they're, they're reducing and we're seeing them going into more of that low income and more into that mm-hmm. high income. Um, so that's where education and workforce become a major driver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's incredible opportunity for everybody um, and and we just have to be able to harness it. Business has to do business differently. Mm-hmm. Government and, and social service has to do business differently. Um, and if we can make that work, we'll be successful. Um, the the bigger challenge is is the body count, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, and the fact that that means we compete against other regions across the country for that limited body count. Mm-hmm. So it it becomes a point where. Even community-wise, we have to think differently. Is this the place for where people want to live? Why? Mm-hmm. And if not, what do we have to do to correct it? Is it is it a matter of making sure that mm-hmm. there's no potholes, <laughs> um, that there's more um, green space publicly? Yeah. Uh, do we need to have more of a nightlife, uh, mm-hmm. more of a 24-7 economy, better downtowns, different types mm-hmm. of housing? How can we build a community that people want to live in so we we don't lose people and yeah. we can be successful at attracting people to yeah. fill our jobs? That's that, that's a great point. And and you know one thing about you know Johnson College students, you know, a majority are from here, um, but they also want to stay here. You know, looking at our alumni data, um, like close to ninety percent of all of our alumni, we look at all that data and they either stayed or are in. Um, within probably a 60 to 90 mile radius. So, so again, like we are challenged, like we need to, you know, produce more of our, you know, skilled um, students faster. But I think I always like to say we, we contribute to, to the brain gain as opposed to, to the brain drain. Um, Cause you know, I often talk to students still, um, not students from here, but even in secondary and they're like, well, there's, are there that many opportunities for, for me here? Why am I going to stay here? And I'm like, no, that's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Don't, there's wonderful. Even it's like, if you don't come to Johnson college, I look at like the number of amazing institutions between here and Luzerne County. And I'm like, this is, I came to Pennsylvania to go to school. I'm from New York originally. I came to Pennsylvania. Um, to go to school and I just see so many wonderful um, institutions here and again those wonderful career um, opportunities so you know I've been trying to deconstruct that a little bit and how can I frame it because I think they expect it to hear it from me well of yeah. course she's a college president of course yeah. she's gonna say <laughs> we should <laughs> yeah. we should say there's a ton of opportunity but um, I try to share that with with my mm-hmm. you know fellow college presidents like hey there's you know there's still you know high school students still think we're 
you know, they're not looking at, at the region. So again, to your point, how do we change the entire regional right. narrative? That's, that's, <laughs> that's another perception that we have to beat in the area. And you're right, it's not only high school kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we conduct polls of college students across the region, and that's one of the questions. Mm-hmm. Would you remain in northeastern Pennsylvania after graduation? Yeah. If not, why? Mm-hmm. Or if so, why? And the majority of the response, I don't think there's that the job opportunities here, mm-hmm. the economic opportunities. And if you talk to parents of, of kids here and from elsewhere, they also don't see it. So mm-hmm. we're not sending the right message. Yeah. Um, um, there, there is incredible opportunity here. Uh, and we have to be better at getting that word out. Yeah, and I feel, you know, that's one thing I learned very quickly when I became president. I'm like, I have this like tremendous responsibility, not just to be an advocate and the ambassador for Johnson College, but again, it, it I really recognized it very quickly. It is about the region. Like, mm-hmm. we're just one, you know, regional asset, but there's so many Very interconnected others. Yeah. and interdependent. Yes. And that's that's the critical mm-hmm. aspect, of which we can see it in the, the trends of, of a number of data sets over time and it's why we promote regional solutions because yeah. you know getting one community or one county to elevate is great but it's not going to be sustainable if we don't get the other county to rise with it yeah um, the, the population that lives here goes across the county line every day to mm-hmm. work or shop or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it's those those geographic or political boundaries that hold some some uh, decision makers back Mm -hmm. and that's what we have to get past yeah Um, I had a conversation with someone who said that the reason why we're stuck in a lot of this is because when you say northeastern Pennsylvania there's this perception of northeastern Pennsylvania 50 years ago yeah when there was an opportunity and it was grim and it was bleak and he said we ought to Mm rebrand you know upstate Pennsylvania or something (laughs) different he said it worked for New York so why can't it work for us Uh, and of course it was the director of the Luzerne County Tourism Bureau. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are stuck on history. We are stuck on the past. Yeah. And maybe a name change will do it. But mm-hmm. we really need to, to make people understand that there is incredible opportunity yeah. here and that the quality of life here is pretty good regardless of what age you're at. Yeah. That was the one of the first things I noticed when I moved here. Um, I think I mentioned I'm from New York originally. I went to school um, at York College down in York, Pennsylvania. My husband was from this area, so of course when we met at York, like all good people from this area, he wanted to move back here, and he was looking for an opportunity to, to move back. So when we were ready to start our family, we wanted to be closer to family, mm-hmm. and that you know was our impetus to move back here. But once I was here, I was like, wow, like this is sometimes we like shoot ourselves in the foot to your point like there's you know we sometimes take for granted all the wonderful things that are right in front of us and this is just a great region with so many wonderful resources and I think it it might it might take us coming together and saying you know what we just have to stop being down on ourselves and pull together and exactly. just start talking about what is so great about You're, we're our this own area. worst enemy when yeah. it comes when it comes to that um, the things yeah. that we have in our backyard we t- we tend to miss yeah and I think too some of that comes out like through like the, the more partnerships that can be created I know mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a big proponent of, of partnerships and I, I I challenge myself sometimes to pause and and sort of remind myself that if there's a challenge we're dealing with here 
um, at the institution that I, you know, we don't have to go it alone. I can reach mm -hmm. out to non, you know, to nonprofits or to, you know, my fellow institutions and say, you know what, again, if we want to look at stackable credentials, you know, again, it shouldn't stop mm -hmm. at two years. Like, you know, I could reach out to my, to the other colleges in the area and say, hey, we should have more articulation agreements in case students do want to go on um, for their education after That's the two years here. Great. Yeah. That and, is great. And same with like nonprofits. You know, we talked about, um, you know, individuals, you know, the immigrant population, the reentry population. Um, we're not experts in that, and nor no, <laughs> do we no. need to and be. We're, we're missing so many the boat. Yeah. We are definitely missing the boat because mm -hmm. the, um, the Hispanic Latino population in particular, um, uh, the, the folks that have gravitated here from the various South and Central American countries mm -hmm. are very familial oriented. So they're, yes. they're inviting family members of generational levels because they like living here but they're also very entrepreneurial yeah. um, and there you could see some elements where in some communities small businesses are starting to spring up mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I think we're not harnessing the capacity of that diversity in yeah. a number of ways mm -hmm. um, so we we really do need to talk and be more collaborative and yeah. work together because um, it does create more opportunity. Mm -hmm. Even starting small. I know, you know, we've been talking with United Neighborhood Centers about, you know, is there a small group, uh, you know, a cohort of, you know, non-English speaking students that are going through their family literacy program, you know, even if it's five students, if they go through that program and then come through a short program here and again, then they're hopefully getting out into the workforce mm -hmm. and, you know, elevating their um, their their wages and their their whole their whole mm -hmm. world could change, which is oh, you know yeah that's huge. And then you start marketing those successes, and mm -hmm. then suddenly you can scale it up yeah. and do more for more. Right, yeah, mm -hmm. that's how I always feel. Whether you're having an impact or two or five or five hundred, it's yeah. it always has that that ripple effects. Great mindset. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I, I guess it, you know any any final thoughts that I know we covered a lot. Um. We sure did, and, <laughs> and I don't know who uh, who's gonna listen to our discussion, but I hope the takeaways are that there's incredible opportunity in northeastern Pennsylvania, yeah. um, and that that lifelong learning is key, yeah. um, and that really you've got to be happy in what you choose to do mm -hmm. um and it doesn't matter what other people think yeah and if you try it and you don't like it there's always something else it's a great time to be able to figure out what makes you smile yeah i have to i wholeheartedly agree well thank you so much terry this has been a wonderful discussion i really appreciate your time with us oh thank you i appreciate the opportunity to be here thanks Find all Tech Talk with Johnson College podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. Johnson College. We work.